I'm Jolie, your branding badass, and welcome to Branding Matters, a podcast I created and host to help you create brand equity. My guest today is Adam Rodericks, the best-selling author of Trigger Fingers, a book that quickly reached number one on Amazon in five categories. During our fun conversation, we cover everything from how to create a brand to the biggest mistakes people are making on LinkedIn. Other topics we covered were how to get the right eyeballs on your posts, how do you grow your influence online, why you should Google yourself, and the optimal amount of time to spend on LinkedIn. I really hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did, and maybe you'll even learn a few things to help you with your branding. Branding Matters is brought to you by Genumark, one of North America's most trusted branded merch makers for over 40 years. Did you know branded merchandise is one of the best ways to create brand awareness? It's true. Whether with your team or your fans, there's no better way to show your appreciation, connect with your audience, and build community than by combining thoughtful design with great products that tell your brand story. When you partner with Genumark, you get more. More personalized service, more creativity, more innovative solutions, and more importantly, you get it all from a talented team of branding experts who have the experience and know-how to make your job easier. And more fun. From promotional products, custom uniforms and clothing, to sports co-branding, web stores and warehousing. Genumark makes it happen. And being ISO certified, you can rest assured knowing ethical sourcing and sustainability are front and center. Genumark is big enough to matter, but small enough to care. So if you're looking for the right partner to help you create brand awareness, email brandingmatters at genumark.com. That's Branding Matters at G-E-N-U-M-A-R-K dot com. And now, on with our show. Adam, welcome to Branding Matters. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's so nice to meet you virtually anyway. Where are you right now? I am in Toronto, Canada. You're in Toronto, Canada. Okay, and are you a big Raptors fan? I see a bunch of basketball paraphernalia behind you. <laughs> I was going to say, what gave it away? I am yeah. a massive basketball fan, sports fan, and this is actually a fantastic conversation starter on virtually every Zoom, which is why it's present in my background. Oh, really? Did you play basketball when you were younger? I did. I played basketball, football, and tennis growing up. Uh, fell in love with the game with you know two of the greats behind me. For anybody who can't see, it's Michael Jordan and Vince Carter. Um, so, you know, I keep them pretty close because they also embody a lot of those facets that I try to strive for in my business life as well. Oh, I love that. Well, you know, the reason I asked is because I used to play basketball. I paid, I played point guard because I'm not very tall. I'm only five, five, right? So okay. point guard was what I played. What did you play? I usually played shooting forward. Okay. Um, or played guard for a little bit uh, in high school, but I was never very good. The second I started wearing these glasses too, I blamed um, my shot going a little bit off on that. But truthfully, it was just that I wasn't putting the time in the way the other guys were. Where did you go to university? Uh, the University of Toronto. Oh, did you? So I went to Western in London. Oh, no way. Yeah, okay, cool. yeah, yeah. I used to work at The Spoke. I don't know if you know Western at all. I do. I used to be up at Saugeen all the time. I, I was in Saugeen. Okay, small world. <laughs> Too funny. I'm probably a little bit older than you, but we used to have, there used to be a bar there back when I was in university called the Seeps, and they used to have these hoops where you used to go and play. And I would just go there and play basketball. And yeah, I was a bit of a tomboy. It's fun. Can I say I tomboy? 
I don't even know. Can you say tomboy anymore? <laughs> I don't know if you can, but it's your podcast. So I feel like we can say anything. So speaking of podcasts, let's uh, get into it. We have a lot to cover. So you help businesses create conversions that resonate with their audiences and increase meaningful chatter and turning posts into messages and messages into quality leads. Can you tell I just read that? <laughs> that was no, a quote no. I took. That was a quote I took right from your website, but I, I loved it. And I wanted to hear more and I want to hear how you do that. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it boils down to one word, which is funnel, right? So social, social media, it typically lives and breathes at the very top. Um, so the awareness phase for anybody who maybe is uninitiated with a marketing funnel or a sales funnel. And then we use conversation, really conversation is, is so central to good social media. We use that to move down the funnel. So we move from prospects and customers uh, we we take them and we essentially get them into a consideration set, right? Once they've developed some interest in us and then through the practice of social selling, so repeated hits, good quality information for qualified buyers, we get them to the holy grail, which is the bottom of the funnel where we get to convert that lead. Um, and that's that's just super cool for me. I, the tool that I use for anybody who's kind of interested in the LinkedIn world, since that's probably where we'll ground a lot of our conversation, I use a tool called LinkedIn Sales Navigator, which is kind of like if you took your existing address book and you mixed it with Jarvis from the Marvel movies, you would have like this weird supercomputer baby uh, connection thing. And it's just basically about more sophisticated connection making and how you can nurture them over time. Well, okay. So I do want to talk about Sales Navigator because I'm also on that, but I want to go back a little bit see yeah. I, I need more so yeah. you talked about conversation what do you mean about conversation like what should you be saying can you talk a little bit more about what does that conversation look like how do you engage yeah. your audience definitely so for me it all boils down to two questions or rather two answers for for yourself those yeah. two questions we should always be answering and by the way this is platform agnostic advice so like you can use this on your instagram <laughs> you can use this on your facebook right. it doesn't really matter yeah. it works on everywhere. social anywhere anywhere on social. and probably what about in person probably like right? I, I think it can for me i just think that you know when there's that instant interaction you're probably not qualifying what you're saying as it mm. comes out of your mouth as quickly right. But those two checks that you can use on social media, those questions you should ask before you hit publish, why would I care and why would I share? Why would I care and why would I share? And if you're faltering or you're apprehensive about anything there, you got to keep in mind that the person on the other side of the phone, of the screen or whatever, they're going a mile a minute. They're just trying to figure out what is the freaking point. And if you don't make that crystal clear, you've lost them. And I totally agree with you. You know, I, I read somewhere once and I've probably said this before, where before you post, ask yourself, so what? So what, like why, you know, what, what is this post doing? Is it entertaining? Is it educating? Is it inspiring? And if it's not doing any of those things, then why are you posting? And so let's get into Sales Navigator because you brought it up and I'm a part of Sales Navigator. So how long have you been a member of Sales Navigator on LinkedIn? Uh, so I've been using Sales Navigator since about 2016, 2017. I was certified shortly thereafter so that I could be begin training people on how to get the most out of it. Okay. I've been on Sales Navigator for a very long time. I've always said how great it is and how it's such a helpful tool. So can you maybe dissect it a little bit more for people who don't know and what the real value is versus just your regular um, LinkedIn account? Definitely. So a lot of people take it at face value and they go, oh, okay, so this is a tool that gives me access, right? It permits me to send messages to people outside my first degree of connections 
Sure, that's one of the things that it does, but it's only one of the features and functionalities that I think are really, really cool in terms of just breaking down silos, making meaningful connections. Uh, and I really love the team link function in particular. So, you know, making introductions through other team members, understanding where in your network, you know, when you have those those run-ins, those aha moments where it's like, oh my God, you know, Adam, no, you know, I, I didn't know this happened. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is basically the online version of that, taking the guesswork out. That's that's the best way I think I can put it. And that's great because if you're prospecting, if you're selling, it enables you to essentially create a map and then systematically hit your targets, which the last time I checked, there aren't too many tools that enable you to do that in a business context. Right. And you can really, you can really fine tune it. Yeah. You can decide on the industry, the company, the geography, you know, who the decision makers are. I mean, you can really, really, you talk about a funnel, narrow it down. But I want to ask you a question. So you talked about sales and I've been in sales for, you know, over 20 years. And you hear a lot of chatter, especially right now on LinkedIn, about people who can't stand salespeople and they can't stand getting hit up and people sliding into their, I guess, DM, I don't know what you call them, LinkedIn, yeah. and, you know, trying to sell them something. And cold calling, I guess, for lack of a better word, or warm calling or warm messaging. So I have a very specific view on that, but I want to hear your take on that. What do you think? I want to hear your take on that. Do you no, want no, no. I asked you okay. first. <laughs> okay. So my impression of this phenomenon that we see on LinkedIn right now as it's eclipsed 722 million members is that- And growing. And right? growing, right? At yeah. a rate of every second of every day, yeah. two new people join LinkedIn. Like it's yeah. crazy. Yeah. So my impression of this is that if you jump on this business to business platform, this business driven social media network, you have to do so knowing that there are many sales professionals that utilize this tool solely as the equivalent of the 21st century cold call. They are paying for that access to in-mail so that they can blast things out in hopes that the open rates are going to give them what they wouldn't get from actually picking up the phone these days. And that is just the cost of doing business on this particular platform. And it's not unlike some of the other major social platforms, just in different terms. I agree. So then by what you just said, you're you're pro it and you think that it's totally acceptable and not only acceptable, but you encourage people if someone is in sales or has a business, that's a great way to find your audience and reach out to them. You're good with that. I'm good with the research phase. I think it's great. And I, I kind of go back to that that comment about um, getting to the right eyeballs, right? So like you said, getting really granular by overlaying a geographic location with a company of X size that specifically has this title, that's a really powerful search when you do it. Yeah. However, just because you've identified that individual on LinkedIn does not mean that you can just message that person out of the blue. If this was an offline interaction, even if you knew that person because you're in their area and you know what they do because they dropped their business card or they're at the hairdresser next to you and you were eavesdropping, that does not permit you to start selling to them. You need to start by growing a relationship. And that's where I kind of say, if you're just going to cold call people at the top of the funnel, you're not going to see those great conversion rates. And I don't blame people for being very, very reserved in terms of people who reach out without starting a connection. Okay. Um, okay, here's going to be some controversy now. <laughs> Tell me, go for it. Tell me. Because what you say is very common. That's the common rhetoric, and you hear that all the time. Yeah. So my belief is that I'm a very direct person, okay? I'm yeah. I'm direct when I meet someone in person. So I'm, I'm the same online as I am in person, first of all. There's no persona. You talk about authentic. I mean, I'm the same way with you as I am with my children, and maybe I'm a bit nicer to you, but, <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, I'm pretty much the same. And so... 
Okay, I'll turn it around. When people reach out to me on LinkedIn, and I get a lot of requests, people want to be on my podcast, or they want to do business with me in some way. And they are, I don't want to say sneaky, but they're like, hey, I just want to connect with you because I think you're interesting, or I want to connect with interesting people. And they don't really give me a reason. I'm like, okay. Mm. And then it's sort of subtle. And then it's like, bam. So I have something I want to sell to you, or I have this, or can you, you know, and I'm just like, I would prefer just be upfront at the beginning. Like I I have much more respect when someone reaches out to me and says, hey, Jolie, this is what I do. I see that you do this. I can help you do this by doing this, this, this. Would you be open to hearing more? And then they're giving me the option to say, you know what? Thanks for reaching out. No, thank you. Or yes, maybe. Right. So I do that when I reach out to people. I'm like, I see you do this. I do this. I can help you. If you want to learn more, great. If not, no big deal. Like I just, because I just think otherwise you talked about being authentic because I know there's not a lot of authenticity there. You say build relationships, but the end goal is to get the sale with the relationship. It's not really trying to build a real relationship. And that's why, that's why, you know, I have this conversation with people. I'm like, but is it really building a relationship? Because they, they saw someone, they kind of went after them. Ultimately they want them to be their client. So they're going to sort of have this relationship and then they're going to hit them instead of just being up front. That's my yeah, opinion. I don't know. Absolutely. No, I think it's, I, and I, you know, I think here we're talking about two different preferences in terms of how we approach it. And I love that we have differing ones. For me, it's always been about, and I do consider it a relationship. I consider it a relationship for one simple insight. What we see on LinkedIn, specifically buyers through social selling, what we see is that we are driving more business through existing networks of customers than we are from new prospects. So basically nurturing that existing client will lead to bigger yield than finding someone new. And that's why I do consider it an ongoing relationship because it is developing over time. That I do agree with. I mean, absolutely. You're, you know, they say you talk about branding. I mean, your best brand, that breast, pardon me, your best brand advocates are your current employees, first of all, and your current customers, right? So I agree a hundred percent. So Anyway, I like to just, you know, stir things up a little bit. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, so I want to talk about your book because, wow, I'm really excited to talk about this. So your book is called Trigger Fingers, Mm -hmm. and it's been described as, quote unquote, a must read for anyone who touches social media personally or professionally and for teams looking to grow their influence online. So tell me about Trigger Fingers. Like, how did you come up with the name? What inspired you to write this book? Let's hear it. Yeah. So trigger fingers is essentially how you learn about personal branding. If you like the storytelling approach, it's comprised of 18 anecdotes from my life and my career that taught me the foundations of digital marketing, social media interaction, and in general, just how do you put your best foot forward virtually? Um, It's so funny you ask about the title. A lot of people ask about the title. Um, It may be familiar for Toronto natives or hip hop heads, and that's because it works on three different levels. Number one, it's a Drake lyric. Like people ask all the time, is this from the song? Okay, see, you can tell that's not my generation. (laughs) I actually, sorry, so I got to tell you, Adam, really funny. So I actually looked it up because I wanted to know what, you know, the actual meaning is, right, is when your fingers get stuck, right? So anyway. Yeah. I didn't know it was a Drake lyric. That's funny. It is. So that's okay. number one. As a, as a born and raised Torontonian, I'm always repping. Um, trigger <laughs> fingers also refers to just like that actual act of, you know, fingers on keyboards, right? Creating a catalyst for conversation through typing. Uh, that that really resonated with me too. And then there is a subtle allusion to the dichotomy between social media use and gun use that's explored in the epilogue of the book. So that title working on three separate levels is really what did it for me. So what inspired you to write this book? So when the pandemic hit, I pulled up my bucket 
bucket list and I looked at everything on there, most of which was travel oriented. I wanted to jump out of a plane. I wanted to visit the Wizarding World of Harry Potter and Universal Studios. These are the things that I aspire to do in my life. This is this is real. Yeah. And I was really bummed that I couldn't do these things. And as my eyes went down the, the page, I noticed that write a book was on there and that was not taken away from me. So I pulled out every single keynote script I had written from 2015 to 2019 and started to reorganize and created a sort of an outline. And then, you know, I kind of said, there's, there's something here. And, you know, 26 months and 63 drafts later, I can't believe it's become a bestseller. That's amazing. Well, first of all, Mazel Tov. That's fantastic. Congratulations. And so how old were you? You wrote this list. Uh, I started my bucket list when I was about 16 and some of the things I can't tell you some of the things on there. Oh, I'm sure (laughs) you're teenagers. So, you know, right. Yeah. So there was, uh, you know, 16, that's pretty young. So has it changed since you first wrote it? Definitely. So it's iterative. And I am going to tell you one of the cringy things because you have teenagers and you'll appreciate it. Two teenage boys. Okay. So I grew up watching this show in the nineties called Breaker High, which was, I think one of Ryan Gosling's first ever TV shows on there. One of the characters has a, has a uh, bucket list. And one of the items on there was to see my name in lights. So that, that was the first thing that was ever on my bucket list, roughly around the time I started my own bucket list. And I promise you the rest of the list is not so cringe. I can't believe I just outed myself. That's a good one. I like that. But when you said, when you, when you wrote down, wrote a book as on your list, did you write bestseller or you just wrote a book? No, I just, I wanted something of permanence that I could leave behind that would have my voice in it. And that's probably the biggest thing that just puts a smile on my face right now is from most people who know me and read it, they say, reading this book was kind of like having a coffee with you on a Monday and just hearing about your weekend. It's just a very interesting weekend. I love it. You write how you speak, right? So it's like like when you say that, it's having a conversation. Well, wow, that's amazing. So, and it's doing very well. Like you said, it's a bestseller. So in the book, you break down the anatomy of a great post in three simple steps. So we're talking about posting. So can you share some of those steps and why they're so important? Absolutely. So the three steps or the three components, I almost think of it as a mathematic formula. And if, if anybody sucked at math, like I did in school, me too. <laughs> okay. It's nothing, uh, you know, overly crazy here. So it's, yeah. it's basically, um, you add value is the first step. Then you, you add a click through direction is the second step. And then you make it stand out. I'll, I'll go into a little bit of depth if you, if you want. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So add value. We go back to those same two questions that should govern everything that you do before you hit enter. If you can't answer what is the value by answering why would I care and why would I share? You haven't you haven't accomplished value, right? That's you want to leave that conversation that you're entering in a better position for discussion because it's all about conversation than when you entered it. That's the first thing with adding value. Okay, wait, I want to stop you right there. Is, Can yeah, I stop yeah, you right there? It. Okay. So yeah, yeah, yeah. when you why 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 should I care? Why should I share? Now, when you say yeah. that, are you referring to you, the author, or the you know the person creating the content, or are you referring to the audience? Fabulous question. It's about putting yourself in the audience's shoes, right? And I want to if you if you commute in using any type of transit, for example, if you've ever glanced over into your you know your neighbor's lap and you look at the way that they're interacting with their smartphone. They're going a mile a minute. They're going so fast that neither their finger nor their screen ever comes to a complete stop. That is the opportunity or lack thereof. So when I say add value, I'm talking about answering those two questions in the context of your target audience. Right. Why should they care? Yeah. Why should they care? And why would they share? That's good value. Yeah, there's a really popular marketing book that goes over positioning yourself as the hero. And the brand loves to position themselves as the hero. But the fact of the matter is, in most customers' lives, the brand is the guide to the solution. They themselves are the hero. The the audience member, the customer, the prospect, they are, in fact, the hero of their own story. And they never view brands that way. That really resonated with me. 
Mm-hmm. That's good. I love that. And then the second one, so value. Uh, yeah, add a click-through direction. So simply putting click here, learn more, connect with me, register now, attend this webinar, literally leads to up to 50% more clicks or desired actions taken. It sounds ludicrous that those two words or whatever that call to action is could have such a drastic effect. But we go back to that person on the commuter train. They just want to be told, what is the freaking point of this? So when you do that, you actually see more people click. You see more people doing what you're telling them to do. Does the call to action have to be click here, do there? Or could it be anything but as long as it's call to action? It can be anything, but I think you want to be very specific about what you and want short. the person to do. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, yeah. for me, shorter has always been better. There are there are a lot of stats right now that actually show us that on the front page of Google, being verbose, having 2,000 words or more on your blog post, for example, leads to better SEO. I think both of these insights need to be balanced in tandem. There's a place for everything. Okay, that's interesting. I'm going I'm to go back to what you just said, but I want to hear number three. <laughs> okay, and the number three is make it stand out. And there's a number of ways that you can make things stand out. My personal favorite way to make posts stand out on social media, for example, is to attach a sexy visual. I should preface that and say, when I mean sexy visual, I don't mean like me on the hood of a car <laughs> with my hair blowing in the wind. Even my wife would not find that sexy. <laughs> I mean like a high definition piece of photography. And there's tons of free for use image libraries that give this stuff away for free. You just got to type in a keyword. They don't want any praise. They don't want any recognition. They don't need you to cite them in it. They just want their work to be seen. Okay. Well, here I go again. I'm going to challenge you on that. What I want to challenge you on is you talk about those sexy, glossy photos that are very yeah. curated. And what I've come to understand, and, and I could be wrong, so I, I love your opinion on this, is that, you know, you you also talked really about being authentic. And I think a lot of people are sick of the curated content that's on social, whether it's on Instagram or where, you know, we talk about filters or we talk about that sexy picture where you got a professional photographer and all that stuff. And for most people who don't have A, the budget and don't have the photographers and don't have the time and everything else, there's this other side or this other opinion where the more real and authentic and your picture is being more, you know, real, the better you're going to connect with your audience that you're trying to serve. And so I'm curious to get your opinion on that because I feel like yeah. it's almost different than what you just said. So communities of photographers and a great two examples of websites I'm talking about to really just ground this unsplash.com and pexels.com. So the word pixels, plural with two E's instead of an I and an E. Those communities of photographers, they don't have overly polished and edited photos. They have photos of things that you may need that you are not in a position to take. And that to me is great because the media component of a social post, especially a well-written message being the barrier to you connecting with the world is an absolute travesty. Mm. Um, but I agree with you. If you have the means, if you have a personal picture or can take a personal picture, many times that's going to be more authentic, but that doesn't mean it's the only way to be authentic. Right. But do you think though that someone can just not use a photographer and do a post and let's say, so go on there and have no, I did a post the other day on actually, and I was wearing my baseball hat and no, no makeup. And I was in front of my computer and I was doing a video and I was just me because it was, I'm very spontaneous. So a lot of times my videos are just like spontaneous versus polish. Like now I have makeup on and I've got my background. Everything is more that. I mean, I just hear too much curated content out there and people can see right through it and they want more realness. They want more people to show up as themselves. Yeah. And I, I think there's merits to both approaches. Yeah. And I'm, I also know I work with a lot of leaders who don't have the fearlessness to do what you did, where it's like, you know, I'm going to spontaneously take and post 
this picture, yeah. right? For many people, they want to create a personal or, or a, a professional brand, but they're not comfortable sharing certain facets of their life, including their face. And that's tough, right? It is tough, but then we go back to authenticity. How authentic yeah. is that though? You know, I think there are a lot of leaders who just don't want to be the face of their business, but they have a really good value proposition. And yeah. there has to be a solution for that person. And I think that's where a lot of these photography solutions come through or yeah. just having an alternate hero of the brand who does have their face and name there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not against, I'm just saying this is a very relevant conversation because I have these conversations with people and, you know, and I read things online about all this curated content and everybody's so fake on there, but you know, you hear everybody's so fake on there, but then we need to be more authentic to connect with your audience. But then again, I I love to sort of dig deep into these conversations. So I appreciate, thank you for uh, sharing that with me. Let's talk a little bit more about brands. So what are some key questions that someone should ask themselves when they're trying to create a personal brand or just what they should ask themselves about their personal brand. I think the big one is probably, I mean, I always suggest whether it's through a, you know, a free flow exercise or mind mapping, I, I like to put in the middle there sort of what do I want to be known for as a starting point, as a one-on-one. And then you do a brain dump and you group together the buckets of content. And then you think about how would I strategically activate around that central idea, that keyword, that phrase. Another question that's already quite famous to ponder is, what do people say about me when I'm not in the room? And I don't mean like I love your hair because I do love your hair. It looks fabulous. <laughs> I mean like yours too, by I the mean, way. You were all nervous about your hair today. I'm like, it looks great. I had just shoveled before this, and I came <laughs> in. Anyway, normally I look a lot more presentable. Luckily, this is a podcast. You look great. <laughs> Thank you. But what do people say about me when I'm not in the room? And I don't mean you know physical attributes. I mean how do they describe what you do, how you do it, who you help? I think boiling big ideas down to their essence is a great way to start determining what you want to be known for. And that's why I ask these types of pointed questions. Okay. But so then what do I ask myself? So I'm asking, so when you're talking about your brand and it's like, okay, what are some things that I should be asking myself before I go out there, knowing that people are going to talk about me and whether I'm not in the room or what people are going to think about me or feel about me, what can you maybe be specific on the kind of questions you should ask? Definitely. So when you think about that, and trust me, am I giving you a hard time? Yeah, I know you've been on a lot of podcasts, and they're normally just I'm just like grilling you. You're good. I I love when people challenge it, because I think that if we just had a conversation where we were agreeing with each other endlessly, that probably wouldn't be too fun to listen to. And quite frankly, wouldn't be as fun to do. I know, right? Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page. Definitely, so. yeah. So what do, what do you ask yourself? So for example, yeah. with me, and it's probably been harder for me because I'm the personal branding guy on personal branding. It's a little bit meta, yeah. right? So how do you become known for that? Um, so I started to ask questions like, what happens when you Google yourself? When was the last time you Googled yourself, right? Really pointed questions that get at the solution to the problem. And I can't tell you when I asked that specific question in a room full of leaders, for example, uh, how often do you Google yourself or do you Google yourself? People just very sheepishly raise their hand. Like I may have done it once or twice. Like I accidentally meant to type it into Facebook. Like people are very, very ashamed of the fact that they have looked at themselves. Why? That's your, that's your online footprint. I think that there is this misconception that in order to look at yourself in the mirror is vain. And when you do that digitally, it means looking yourself up. Huh? What does it say about someone who does it all the time? <laughs> like me. (laughs) Well, it says that you're a savvy marketer. And I would actually say that if you're not going to be the one who writes your story, you actually leave that opportunity to somebody else who's who's going to do it. And that's a very dangerous thing if you're not willing to look at what comes up when you Google your name. How often do you Google yourself? Uh, So I've got alerts and things like that set up, but manually, probably once every seven to 14 days. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think, you know what, I love that you said that because I thought everybody did because I think it's so important, like you said, to see, pardon me, and then just because I think, you know, we're online and with my podcast especially, I like to sort of see. And So how does Googling yourself help you establish what your brand is? So I think that shows you what present state looks like, right? Your Google search results as of today. And for a lot of people, when they look that up, especially for the first time, you see their eyes kind of widen because there's either something undesirable that they see on there that they were hoping was not on there. Or they're looking at it and going, this is not what I thought I had in terms of the online representation of myself. Like, oh my gosh, it's my Facebook. I don't want my friends only Facebook to be the first thing that comes up on Google, especially when we think about search behavior, not just in Canada, but in general, like nobody's going to the second page if they don't get their information that they want on the first page, right? They're trying a different search query. That's what's happening. So yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So then what's your take on Google ads? Because you, when you when you Google something and you look right away, you see the first. Probably now it's come to almost the three quarters of the pages ads. Yeah, I mean, I do love them when used sparingly. I think it's annoying when when you search for something and all you get are promoted ads. Um, but in my own personal experience, they're incredibly cost effective. You get really robust analytics. They've helped me drive good quality leads. So I'm I'm a proponent of it from a business perspective. From an end user search perspective, I've almost learned how to tune it out. To the point where it's like, okay, yeah, I get that the top there that's slightly shaded is going to be <laughs> there because someone paid for it and I'm going yeah. to the first search result. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's dive into LinkedIn because you and I are both huge proponents of it. So, and we talked a lot about it. So, why is LinkedIn such a powerful networking tool? And how can it be used for either personally or professionally to grow a brand? Yeah, so answering your first question about why is it so powerful One of the reasons that I gravitate towards LinkedIn for healthy social media use, good interactions, is that lack of anonymity. Who you are on LinkedIn is typically who you are, which I can't say for a lot of the other majors, which does lead to a lot of nastiness, a lot of, frankly, toxic behavior, right? Um, So I've always found LinkedIn has delivered good value for the use of my time. I I use LinkedIn every day as I do all of the other social media networks as a social professional. And I've always found, hey, you know what? This is is great to connect with like-minded individuals, increase my discoverability. As I said, from an SEO perspective, for a lot of people, you Google first name, last name, LinkedIn's gonna be that first or second search result, right? So quite good in terms of building that Google yourself rule too. Those are some of the reasons I consider it powerful. Kind of just keep going on that is just, Last year alone, we saw a 55% increase in conversations on the platform. So forget the growth rate, right? We talked about the 700 and some odd million people on there, two new people every second of every day. The growth rate is healthy, but the engagement rate is phenomenal, right? The, the, The amount of quality conversation happening on the platform is refreshing. Whereas when I go to a lot of other platforms, particularly YouTube and Twitter, two of the other ones that I use a lot, I do not have anywhere near the same levels of quality when it comes to engagement. Well, I never thought, it's funny that you, you're you saying that because I never thought about that concept of anonymity, anonymity on the other platforms versus LinkedIn. Like it was, I don't know why I've been on there forever and you're absolutely right. You can't hide behind. I mean, I guess maybe you could. I mean, if you did, a, I don't know. Can Is there any fake accounts on LinkedIn? I never even thought of that. There are dummy accounts yeah. on there. But at the same time, you know, we look at the number one, the core user of LinkedIn is up there probably because they're trying to get a job, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, 15 times more impressions on LinkedIn than conventional job boards, just yeah. crazy. So you have every reason to build 
the not the I hate this the equivalent of your CV, but a real factual document, a living, breathing entity that represents your professional persona on there. Anonymity is probably not going to help you do yeah. anything that you're on the platform to do anyway. Yeah, no, that's true. You know, it's funny you talk about professional CV. I think that when LinkedIn for and I, I don't know, you may know this when LinkedIn started. I feel like I've been on it since it has started, to be honest yeah. with you. But that's what it used to be when it first started, right? People would just go on there and they'd put their credentials, put a picture, tell, say what they did, and then they left and they never were on there and they never really engaged. And I, and you know, and I, I did engage not nearly as much as I, I do now, but I've always engaged and connected with people. And so now it's, like you said, it's called social media for a reason. It's to be social, right? It's to connect with people and engage with people. And I love that you said about conversations. So totally agree with you. And then that helps build your brand, right? Because, or create brand awareness, because the more you engage with people, the more they're going to, other people are going to see who you are. I mean, I love that, you know, you can leave a comment and then people will see that you left a comment or vice versa. And then people check you out, you know, and all that kind of stuff too. Absolutely. I always think right. it's amazing when I see some of these posts from, uh, I saw one recently from India, for example, for someone who created a sustainable solution in their village and had to leave their village to post about this. And here I am on the other side of the world, three and a half million likes later, consuming and praising what they've done as a person. Like there's no other way I can think oh, about connecting these two individuals. That is so powerful. Yeah. That's amazing. So I read that the highest users on LinkedIn are in India. Like geographically, if you look at the demographics, India has the highest population on LinkedIn. That is true. It's also the most followed hashtag on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm not surprised. So that's interesting. So what does it mean then when you say content is king and consistency is queen? So I think everybody's heard of that content is king, that that first little bit before. Uh, I think it was actually Content Marketing Institute that called it the jargon word of 2018. So I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about this. I think authenticity is going to be the word of 2022, I have to say. (laughs) Oh, man, I hope not because it's one I'll go to. But you know what? Maybe I just need to. No, no, no. You know what? Honestly, if you think about what I do and you think about I interview leaders from all over the world. And so I have all these amazing conversations. And that is definitely a thread throughout every conversation. And and it's important. But I'm just saying when you mention that, I'm like, yeah, I can see that. If it is, so, I'm gonna I'm gonna message you and say I gotta work on what I'm doing for my okay. <laughs> we'll come up with a different word. Definitely. Right. But what does that phrase mean, right? Content is king, but consistency is queen. Great anecdote to kind of explain it. I've worked with a lot of people that have poured themselves into a blog post. I mean, like they have done so much research, written just a beautiful piece. They go to bed, they go, this is amazing. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to sleep after after publishing this. I'm gonna wake up. I'm gonna be on the front page of the New oh, York Times. This is amazing. <laughs> and then they wake up to three views because. Really, that that one blog post, yes, it could go viral, but that's that's not it, right? You need to make a consistent effort at this thing that you're doing. The other thing is, I would say for a lot of people, they look at content as the full pie in terms of how they invest their time online. And I would challenge that we need to rethink about that pie graph to say, when you think about that pie of your time, cut content to half of whatever that allocated time is and use the other half of that pie for content promotion. We don't do enough marketing of our marketing. That's one of the other things that I'm seeing, particularly amongst leaders in Canada. So how do you do that? Well, we have to set aside time to just, I didn't just write this blog post. I'm out there and I'm shipping that in discussion groups where it's, hey, you know what? You're asking about great social platforms that will help you with crisis management. I just wrote this post and there's six things that I've seen from my own personal experience positions you as a pundit amongst a bunch of different industry peers. And I think it also, obviously, you know, if you can get some good backlinks and things like that, it'll help from an SEO perspective as well. Hmm. Okay. Well, 
you know, in theory, that sounds great. And I totally agree yeah. with you. But here's the thing. We are all super busy. We are living in a world. We're all doing, you know, a million different things. How many hats do you? I wear probably three hats at least. You know, mom, I have my full-time business. I have my podcast. I have my volunteer work. I have business, right? So life is busy. So let's talk about how often should somebody be on LinkedIn? Like you talk about all these things we need to do. I mean, how, this is kind of a full question. How often should someone be online and then on LinkedIn? And then how long? should they be on LinkedIn? Like how, how many minutes or hours or whatever? Okay. I'll get really finite with the answer to the latter question. But for the first one, I'll say you should be on as often as you can be on consistently. So if you're somebody who can devote 15 minutes a day and you're not going to touch it again for a month, that's going to be a problem. That's not going to yield the results that you want. In terms of those sessions, the minimum amount of time that I've seen someone be successful in terms of minutes for an active session is 15. And I'll even tell you how to structure those 15 minutes. If 15 you minutes. So 15 minutes a day though, every day? 15, for... 15 minutes. And I've seen people drive marketing qualified leads on 15 minutes per week. For so week. it doesn't okay. have to be every day. It doesn't have to be every day. Oh, okay. But so what would you say minimum then once a week? I think if you can do once, once a week, that's a great starting point. Obviously, if you like anything else, if you start to see ROI in this tool, maybe you invest a little bit more. For me, this is my social bread and butter. So right. I'm on it multiple times every day, but to each their own. And I appreciate that for someone starting out, they may be a little bit more skeptical devoting that much time up front. Right. Okay. So let's break down those 15 minutes now. So you're busy. You're like, okay, I'm going to devote 15 minutes to my LinkedIn. What do I yeah, do? Yeah. Okay, so the first thing, you spend the first five minutes, you author a piece of content. This can be a reshare, but I'd prefer if you authored a piece of content using that formula that we had talked about a little bit. That would be the first five minutes. And once you kind of get used to this, it becomes a little bit second nature, almost like muscle memory. It doesn't even take five minutes, depending on who you are or how verbose you want it to be. Okay, the wait, before thing, you continue, yeah. okay, I want to okay. stop you right there because yeah. you say, okay, just first thing you got to do is create content, share content. But- I hear a lot of times people go like, I don't know what to post. How do yeah. you know what to post? That's, yeah. I think, a big challenge for a lot of people. I think it is too. So for me, especially if I'm getting you, you're doing this thing first thing in the morning, maybe you haven't had your morning coffee. One of my favorite ways to source or curate content is by going through company pages. And it's not necessarily the company that you work for. It could be companies that you have of interest again, at the forefront of their industry, just seeing what they're publishing, what's going on in trending news, because then you have those aha moments. And for a lot of people, the content that's derived from that is actually just taking a listicle, for example, choosing one point in that listicle to either agree or disagree with, there's your content. Yeah, I love that. And I think that, have you ever heard of ILT? No. Okay, so two things I would add to that. So ILT is from actually one of my guests that was on, Ray Higdon, and invest, learn, teach. So invest in a good book or a good seminar or something, right? And then learn something new, right? Learn through a book that you read, like you're going to all go out and buy trigger fingers and you're going to learn a lot when you read that book. And then teach and then take what you've learned and go on social. And like you said, take one thing. I mean, you could take that whole book and probably ILT it for a month, if not a year, right? Because you can just take one point and go on there and share. And you can also, oh, and then, sorry, and then ILTE, the E is edify, because you don't want to steal other people's content. So then you go, you know, I read this book written by Adam Roderick, it's called Trigger Fingers. And this is what I learned. And I want to share it with you because you're going to learn too. 
I love that. Don't you think that's great? I like that. I almost don't want to go through my latter 10 minutes because I I love ILTE so much. (laughs) And then the other thing I was going to say too is another thing that helps is Google Alerts. You mentioned that earlier, right? When you do Google Alerts about things that are important to you, or maybe that's important to your audience, then you get your Google. I love it. Google Alerts, I read them. I'm like, oh, this is good. If I think my my audience will be interested in this. And again, it's just that one thing. I love that. I love what you said. That was great. Okay, so 15 minutes. We got the first five. What do you do? Time number 10. (laughs) Okay, so yeah. So minutes five through 10, you would spend that nurturing your existing network of connections. Again, going back to that misconception in North America around followers, 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 and to be successful on social media, I need more followers. Well, what do you do when you get these followers? Do you just ignore them in the quest for more followers? No, you need to go through and have quality conversations. And in my opinion, there is no easier place than LinkedIn to do that, especially Mm -hmm. with the number of job updates, the amount of promotions, the amount of people starting their own companies. It is so easy to go through, congratulate someone, ask a question, answer a question. Those are your middle five minutes. Love it. And then the last five? Now we can do the thing that every North American wants to do, which is grow our network. We can look through the people you may know screen. You can certainly use the algorithm if it helps you with, hey, you've got 97 connections in common with this person. Do you maybe want to take a look at them? Now you have the ability to kind of go out there, increase your discoverability, connect with people that you don't necessarily already have a connection with. Okay. So when you see that person, so let's say I didn't know you and as you know, I'm very straightforward, right? I didn't know you, yeah. but I just reached out to you. But yeah. some people may not be that straightforward, and I understand that. And so they see that you have like 90 connections. So then how do they approach that stranger online, even though they've never talked, but they have all these connections? Definitely. So you know, when you're sending that request to connect, one of the biggest pieces of advice, especially if you don't have an existing relationship with that person, customize the invite, right? We do get that templated text and there are way too many people who rely solely on it. I'm sorry, but if you're getting an income requ- incoming request, there's no context and I didn't ask for this, you're going to have a bad time. Like that's just not going to work. Take yeah. the few seconds that it takes yeah. to to reach out. As you said too, like you're a direct person. You appreciate a direct report. I would love to learn more about your podcast. There's so yeah. many ways we can do exactly what you were saying. Using that. that direct approach, be real, right? Yeah. This, this is what I want. No dear sir, madam. Just, hey, this is what I hope to get out of this connection. Yeah. You know what? At the end of the day, we're all people, right? We're all human beings. We all bleed the same color blood. I mean, whether you're a CEO of a multi-billion dollar company or you're just starting out as an intern at a company, we're all people. And and I think that's what I think about whenever I talk to someone. It's like, I don't think about their title. I don't think about how much money they make. I don't, I just think about you're a human being. You have children. I have children. You have, you know, you played basketball. I played basketball. Like, I think finding things that you connect with, with somebody, I think really helps a lot too. Okay, before we go though, because this is, I think this will be fun. I want to hear some of the biggest mistakes that you see people make and businesses on LinkedIn right now and what they should be doing instead. Okay. I would say the content that is not business appropriate, the people who are using LinkedIn like it's Facebook. That's probably the one that I see most often. And what is the difference? Well, I think when you look at LinkedIn, it's tied to your professional persona. And there are some people who think in order to be effective on social media, I need to be on all of the social media platforms, but I'm not going to create content for all of them. So I'm just going to create the Facebook post and blast that everywhere. Okay. So that's, that's one of the things I see where I go, I don't know if you understand the essence of this platform, right? Where I go, nobody's really engaging with it. It doesn't do anything to deepen that professional brand that you have. Did this really have a place on your LinkedIn? Because what it comes back to for me is 
To be effective on social media, you don't have to be everywhere. In fact, for a lot of the leaders that I help, I suggest they do few things well. Okay. I'm going to stop you right there. Challenge, <laughs> this is, challenge. This is we need so a challenge fun. flag on the podcast. You know, if we were out there playing basketball right now, I'd be like, whoosh. Yeah. I'd be flopping for the foul. So, you get kid teed up. Yeah, go for yeah. it. Yeah. No, I, first of all, I love that you said that because, again, that's a very topical thing. But I also hear the other side of the coin. And a lot of people have said, and, and I see it for sure, and you probably have too, LinkedIn has changed dramatically, especially since COVID. More people are on than ever and more younger people are on as well. And I have seen a change in that and I have seen more people share personal stories. And you know what? Full disclosure, I do as well. And some of my personal posts that I've done have actually gotten, you know, 10,000 views, 10,000 likes, like more than sort of professional ones. And so that goes back to we're human beings. And so, yes, it is a business networking platform for sure. But again, we are all people. And and I see the posts, you know, I'll use Sarah Blakely as an example, right? I mean, she has, I don't even know, hundreds of thousands of followers. Sarah Blakely from Spanx, people don't know. And mm-hmm. she does personal posts. Like I see her with her coffee mug. So I just want to get your why. Why do you think that is? And what what do you consider, I guess, maybe is actually personal versus business? And nothing wrong with personal to clarify too. I mean, my whole book is comprised of 18 personal stories and it's being used in classrooms. So nothing against personal stories. My biggest gripe with the Facebook strategy is literally somebody who cross posts their entire Facebook account to their LinkedIn. It can be comprised of, and you'd be very effective to your point to do that on LinkedIn. But we raise the question, if your entire LinkedIn is comprised of everything on your Facebook, why am I following on both? And at at large, if that's all I'm seeing, if all I'm seeing on LinkedIn is reposts of my Facebook, do I need to maintain a presence on both? Nothing, nothing against. In fact, I love personal stories where you're comfortable to share. I think they can be incredibly powerful. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that makes sense. That's a good tip. I'm going to have to, because I probably have been guilty of that full disclosure. So I'm going to be more mindful of that. So thank you for sharing that. What's one more mistake that you see? Um, on LinkedIn, I think the other one would probably, and this is, again, if we go by top is what we just talked about using the templated in mails, when you want to reach out to somebody that you really want to get to know, that is such a misstep. I can tell you some horror stories about students who have, you know, just done a control C, a control V, and they've sent me something that they clearly meant to send to seven other hiring managers. And they didn't even bother to change her to his or whatever the pronoun was in this context. But, yeah. you know, just actually taking the time to give a shit. Can I say shit? I don't know if I yeah. can say shit. Yeah, you can. Okay. I, I, I say badass. So. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. I saw badass on the shirt. I'm like, oh, exactly. I should ask. Now I said yeah. it six times before we ended here. <laughs> I lied. I do have one more question. Is there any person or any business that should not be on LinkedIn or should absolutely everybody be on LinkedIn? I think the the people I mean over the age of 18 or I don't know I mean I never even thought of that is there an age limit There is and it's different in different countries too oh, okay. so Yeah um so the people or business that should not be on LinkedIn are the people who a don't want to be on LinkedIn there are a lot of people I talk to who are just trying to keep the lights on but they have no desire to share no desire to connect no desire to really be on the platform but they were told by someone at one point in time you have to be on linkedin i don't think that there's any social platform that you have to be on and it honestly it shows when somebody's heart is not in any form of conversation or interaction i totally agree with you yes 100 percent. but don't you feel that if you're in business And I mean, look, if you're in business, you're in sales, right? They're not mutually exclusive. So if you're in business, don't you feel it's a missed opportunity if you're not on there because you're all your, you know, your potential audience, potential prospects, customers, everyone is there? 
Yeah, I think, you know, it's certainly a missed opportunity. I also think it can be a misstep to try and force yourself to do something that you're not going to invest in properly. And there are a lot of people I know who just say, LinkedIn, you know, I'm not comfortable sharing certain facets of myself. I'm not comfortable connecting through the online medium. I've had a lot of mistakes and phishing scams and things like that. I'm just, my guard is up and I'm never going to have that authentic conversation you're talking about. Should I still do it? And that's where I say, well, let's look at the overall online footprint. Perhaps there are other places that you'll be more comfortable than LinkedIn. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, that's great. What a great way to end it. What a great conversation. Well, Adam, this has been so much fun. So people want to learn more about you and what you're doing and how they can find your book. What's the best way for them to connect with you as if I don't know the answer already? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So I am at Adam Rodericks on virtually every platform, uh, mostly LinkedIn. Obviously, I love uh, my hub for all things that I'm doing, particularly in my upcoming speaking engagements is www.adamrodericks.com. Perfect. And they can get your book anywhere, like Amazon or anywhere where your book, yeah, number one bestseller. Yeah. So you're ready to write another book now? That's what everybody's asking me. Um, What I can say is that my wife and I have just moved and I am knee deep in cardboard boxes and shoveling. So (laughs) if I'm doing any sort of storyboarding or anything, it's all up here for now. Uh, But I do look forward to putting pen to paper or finger to keyboard again soon. Oh, that's awesome. Well, it's like when you have kids, you have one and they're barely out of diapers. Like you having your second, you ready for your oh my second, gosh, right? Like, right? Can I just get a breath, right? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, congrats again. It was so nice Thank to you. talk to you. If not, if but next time, maybe when I'm in Toronto, we should get together and shoot some hoops or whatever. And uh, yeah, no, I'd love to stay in touch for sure. Love it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. And there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and maybe learned a few things to help you with your branding. This show is a work in progress, so please remember to rate and review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts. And if you'd like help creating brand awareness for your business, please reach out to me on any of the social platforms under, you guessed it, Branding Badass. I promise you, I reply to all my messages. Branding Matters was produced, edited, and hosted by Jolie Goodson, also me. So thank you again, and until next time, here's to all you badasses out there.